defenseman Noah Dobson just continues to elevate his game. Brock Nelson could unleash that shot on a wing and, and still help you out otherwise. So I got a lot of good names for bands, but I, I'm going to just add scheduling idiocy to that list. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. Episode 150 as I speak to you from my luxurious hotel room in Tempe, Arizona. And okay, it's actually an A-loft, but the bed is really comfortable. And hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday. I'm on Twitter at agrossnewsday and Instagram as well. And in this episode, I have a couple of chats. One with Brock Nelson, who, uh, by the way, has 30 points in 30 games. And then with Zach Parisi, who is tied for second on the team with nine goals. And both of uh, uh, the Islander veterans discuss Mullet Arena, the Coyotes' temporary, uh, for three seasons at least, home on the Arizona State campus that seats 5,000 or about 8,000 less than Nassau Coliseum did in its last years as the Islanders' home. Of course, we'll finish with your questions in Andrew's answers. So, the story so far, as the Islanders are on a season-long, at least in terms of games, uh, five-game road trip. And as I speak, the Islanders have slipped to the second and final wild-card spot in the Eastern Conference as the Rangers have passed them by. The trip open with Tuesday's 4-3 shootout loss in Boston in a very, very entertaining game. Islanders did play a good first period, yet trailed 2 nothing uh, on a couple of quick goals from Jake DeBrusque. They played a decent second period to tie the game at 2, then gave up a shorthanded goal late in the second period on a power play uh, that Matthew Barzell described as quote-unquote brutal. Offensive zone entries, or the lack thereof, were an issue there. Uh, the Islanders went 0-3 for 3 with just one shot on the power play against the NHL uh, Best Bruins, whose penalty kill is ranked first in the NHL. Uh, Tuesday's power play 0-4 left the Islanders 2-14, for 14, which is 14.2% over their last five games. They are 12-43, for 43, 27.9% over the last 14 games and have scored at least one power play goal in 10 of those 14 games. Overall, the Islanders rank 18th in the NHL on the power play at 20 for 90, which is 22.2% in comparison, or for comparison's sake, the Oilers lead the NHL at 34 for 108, which is... 31.5%, and uh, if you know me, struggling through math, uh, I got the last two numbers right from the the NHL website, but I did have to figure out the first two on my own, so I'd like a couple of stick taps for getting through that. Um, After 
Tuesday's game, uh, Coach Lane Lambert wasn't willing to entertain any suggestion that the Islanders' power play hasn't been consistent enough. He said, quote, our power play has been good. It's been running over 30%, 25% in the last 14 games. So I'm not going to say anything bad about our power play. That's for sure. Uh, end quote. And as we discussed in the previous episode of Island Ice, recency bias is a real thing. And defenseman, or Bruins defenseman, Derek Forbert's shorthanded goal just highlighted that the Islanders' power play was not good in that particular game. And to be consistently better, because even with the Islanders scoring power play goals, neither of their two units has that seemingly totally dangerous player that can immobilize opponents. Uh, Perhaps some help will have to come from outside the organization. Uh, We'll get to more of that in Andrew's answers. And and maybe I should check myself. Perhaps that last sentiment isn't totally fair. Uh, The Islanders do have Matthew Barzell on the top unit. His stick handling, which we all know about, and his passing can create opportunities for teammates. He's got he's gotten 14 of his 30 points on the man advantage. Plus, defenseman Noah Dobson just continues to elevate his game. He's tied with Anders and Lee and Zach Parisi for second on the team with nine goals. Three of those goals and nine of his 20 points overall have come on the power play as he quarterbacks the first unit, but I I really don't think it's breaking any news to say the Islanders could use a top-notch finisher for their power play. And as I mentioned, uh, Barzell is tied with Brock Nelson for the team lead with 30 points, meaning both have been point-per-game players uh, for the Islanders. Barzell with three goals and 27 assists, and Nelson with 14 goals and 16 assists. Uh, sort of key there. Nelson's always been a really good goal scorer. Uh, the assist total is kind of nice to see for him uh, th- this season. And, uh, you know, maybe he could have even more assists because we've been over this. But for both Matthew Barzell and Brock Nelson, it really feels like the Islanders need scoring help on the wing uh, for either of Barzell or Nelson's lines, uh, given the seasons both centers are are building. Anyway, uh, on to Arizona, Tuesday's shootout loss, which was the Islanders' first loss past regulation in four tries this season. Uh, It left them at 17-12-1. And the rest of the trip really doesn't get much easier uh, after starting with the NHL best Bruins. Uh, the Coyotes came into UBS Arena and beat the Islanders 2-0 on November 10th. So the Islanders get their uh, rematch with the Coyotes on Friday night at Mullet Arena, which we'll talk about in just a little bit here. Um, and, and that Friday match starts a back-to-back uh, that ends Saturday night against the Pacific Division-leading Vegas Golden Knights, and then it's uh, off to Denver for a Monday night match against the defending Stanley Cup champion Avalanche, who are injury-plagued right now and have been struggling as a result, but hey, they still won the Stanley Cup, right? Um, That finishes up the road portion of the 
season-long five-game road trip because then it's back to New York to finish the trip against the Rangers at Madison Square Garden on December 22nd. Uh, I've mentioned this in previous episodes, plural. We, we've discussed the scheduling idiocy that means that the game at the Garden on December 22nd will be the final regular season matchup this season between the Rangers and Islanders. I, I'll just repeat myself, scheduling idiocy. And uh, perhaps that might be the name of my next band. I got a lot of good names for bands, but I, I'm going to just add scheduling idiocy to that list. On that note, as for Mullet Arena, here's my take. And you've heard me say multiple times, I, I believe Mullet Arena, not the facility, because the facility is fantastic, but the, the fact that the Arizona Coyotes are playing in a 5,000-seat arena for at least three seasons that is on a college campus and, and, and built, by the way, again, spectacular building for the Arizona State Sun Devils. Uh, just a, a spectacular building. Any college would be proud to have this facility on their campus. But as an NHL arena, it, it, it's an embarrassment that this is what it has come to. And uh, I am saying this even after being in the building for the first time today as the Islanders practiced on Thursday, and, and even after seeing what a spectacular building it, it is. It, it is absolutely first-rate. Here's the qualifier. It is absolutely first-rate as a college rink. State-of-the-art facility, immaculate, but I will not, and I don't think I ever will, take back my feeling that it is an embarrassment for the NHL to be playing here, even as the Coyotes packed the stands with 5,000 fans after they struggled mightily with attendance uh, in, in terms of capacity percentage in Glendale, Arizona. And, and, and look, I, I don't begrudge the Coyotes the fact that they should be playing co closer to Phoenix. And uh, for any of you who have been out to Phoenix, or maybe I should say for those who have never been out to Phoenix, uh, the Arizona State campus is remarkably closer to downtown Phoenix. Uh, it, it's only, it's about a 15-minute drive, the arena, from Sky Harbor Airport, there's good facilities. It's a college community, which means there are a lot of good restaurants, a lot of good bars, a lot of good hotels out here. Everything really that, you know, it was a 30, 35 minute, 40 minute drive, depending on traffic from uh, downtown Phoenix all the way out to Glendale. That works for the NFL. Uh, the, the arena where the Coyotes used to play is neighbors, uh, the Arizona Cardinals uh, NFL facility, that, that giant dome. Um, it works for the NFL because you only have to go out there once every two weeks. But if you're playing two, three home games in a week, no one in Phoenix wants to trek out to Glendale. And it's much easier to come to Tempe. So I do not begrudge the Coyotes that in any way. Um, that they that they should be playing much closer to Phoenix. It's where their fan base is. They're they're going to do well, uh, or that's the thought if they ever open up their own facility. But Mullet Arena was not built, nor should it have been, 
to have the facilities to accommodate, to accommodate all that an NHL game needs. And I'll give you a one for instance um, where playing at Mullet Arena has, has impacted coverage of, of the Islanders, and that's in that the MSG production crew did not make the trip to Arizona. It's because it was their determination based on talking to other production crews, talking to the facility. It was just not set up comfortably enough to, to fit them there. Uh, there's always, already the home TV production crew and you know the broadcasters, but a production crew is much more than the uh, broadcasters. It, it, it's laying all their, you know, getting all their equipment set up. It, it's the truck out there. Uh, it's getting all their workers in. And, and look, the, the Coyotes obviously have their TV crew set up, but the MSG network crew just determined that it would not work to their satisfaction if they were out in Arizona. So they are doing the game from the studios back home. But that also means that as a result, they're they're not going to be out in Las Vegas because this is a Friday, Saturday, back-to-back. And they just, you know, after doing a game on Friday night, they could not transport everything they needed to do to get to Vegas for a for a Saturday game and and again when i say embarrassment i to me it is embarrassing to have a production crew determine that there's not enough ample space for them to go do it an NHL game in an arena being used for NHL games and and again this is nothing against Mullet Arena. I'm going to have fun watching the game there because it, it, you really are on top of the ice uh, as long as, you know, the fans in the row in front of me are not standing up and blocking my view. Um, you're right on top of it. It's If you've ever been to a great college arena, you, and I've been to some, you know how amazing it is to see a hockey game in that arena and, and to see an NHL game played at the speed with which an NHL game is played at that close distance is going to be incredible, you know, but it should be a once in a lifetime uh, experience. The Coyotes are playing 41 home games here. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. So at least the NHL doesn't have to worry about the nightmare of how to, you know, get a playoff uh, coverage out of that arena, but they're going to play 41 home games next season and, and 41 home games the following season. This is going to get old. Look, before I, I describe what I saw today at Mullet Arena, here's Brock Nelson uh, after Thursday's practice talking about the experience of practicing on the Arizona State campus. Does it take an NHL player to get used to like a new rink and really learn you know, yeah. the, the particulars. Like for us here? Or yeah. for, them, for them here? I well, mean, for you. A little bit of both. I mean, obviously, we walked in here, Palms and I got dropped off the front. Not really too sure what to expect. I don't, I mean, haven't really heard much about this place at all. We kind of walked through the front. They let us in. And yeah. Somebody walked us around to find this. But, I mean, this, the amenities here for us are pretty, you know, 
pretty good. So um, all things considered, it's you know it's not a bad setup. You're testing out the, yeah, the, the rink, boards. Yeah, the ring series right? nice. Yeah, we we're just trying to get a feel for you know different things, and obviously every other rink you played in you know a few times and get used to it. This one's a little bit different. Some some visuals maybe, but um, looks like a nice spot. Yeah. How's uh, the, the ice is the one it's, thing that it's everyone good. Yeah, it's raves good. About. I feel like everybody's been pretty you know pretty happy with it, and um, yeah, we got out there. It, was, it, it felt hard and fast right away, and it was good. And um, we put some time in out there. It got a little slant in. I'm sure that won't be the issue, but not. I mean, not pointing out any particular arena around the end, but just in general, like the ice is you know yeah. these multi-purpose arenas, right? The ice yeah. is never. How does that? hurt the game when the ice isn't that great. Yeah, I mean, obviously with the schedules and different things and different teams, your concerts coming in and out and changing, I'm sure it's tough. And, um, they do as good a job they can. I'm not too sure how they do it or what the you know, science is behind it, but sure they, they, they try to get as much feedback as they can to kind of correct different things. And you know, Most nights it's, it's pretty good, I'm sure, at the end. At most places, it just gets a little choppy, but I mean, that's just from you know, play and wear and tear and whatnot. But I mean, most places you hop out there, it feels pretty good. And as you heard uh, Nelson say, the most common rave about Mullet Arena uh, has been the ice because other events, such as concerts and basketball games, are, are not coming into that arena. I don't, I, I shouldn't say that for sure about concerts, but you know, certainly they're not covering up the ice for, for basketball there. They have a, a separate basketball arena. And, and, and because, of the, because of that, because the ice isn't constantly being covered, and because the ice-making equipment is state-of-the-art, again, just like that whole facility as a college arena, the ice quality remains at a consistently top-notch level. So uh, to, to kind of paint the word picture here at Mullet Arena, it's essentially... Just a lower bowl with a, a very wide concourse uh, after the seats. It does have some upscale, uh, very tasty-looking concessions that were obviously closed during uh, practice. There is a second level where, where there are suites, um, but everything is, is really low to the ice. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very intimate setting for an NHL game, for sure. Uh, now, the visitor's dressing room, which is what, you know, uh, I went into today after practice, after sitting in the stands for practice. Now, the visitor's dressing room was not completed when the Rangers were here earlier in the season, and I heard uh, that was a bit of a nightmare in terms of media coverage. Uh, there was basically just a little area in a hallway, I believe, where players were brought out. We, we, the Islanders have a visiting dressing room, and I, I will say it's actually rather large for an NHL visitor's dressing room. Uh, one little, you know, quirk is that the coach's office and, and the, uh, the room where the players actually change since uh, dressing rooms have really become, you know, interview areas for the most part. Um, the, the the coach's office and and the uh, the changing room are actually up up some stairs, so it's a it's a two floor uh, uh, setup there. Um, but to get to the the dressing room for the Islanders players when they leave the ice to get to their dressing room, they actually have to walk 
out of Mullet Arena, and they go, uh, it's only about 20, 25 strides until they're into the next building where the, where the locker room, uh, the dressing room is immediately, but they have to go underneath a tinted pathway outside uh, to get to their own dressing room. Um, you know, it sort of sounds a little bit, uh, a few years back, I did a story on the New York football giants playing up at the Ale Bowl in the 70s, and uh, that's what some of the old giants described to me, that they actually had to leave <laughs> uh, the Ale Bowl to get to their uh, locker room during halftime. But uh, as far as the press box accommodations and this next section, or uh, this is an aside that probably only matters to me, but hey, uh, this is Andrew Gross hosting the Island Ice podcast, so buckle up, I'm just going to go through it. Um, the, the press box accommodations is a table set up behind, or a tabletop set up behind the last row of seats in the lower bowl in, in one of the corners. Uh, the scouting report from my Ranger reporter friends is that when fans stand up and uh, uh, that that is frequent during a game, uh, it's tough to see the ice from the quote-unquote press box. Media members also have to walk around uh, the post-game, uh, the concourse post-game uh, through the the fan traffic, um, you know, they, they walk through the concourse post-game as fans are filing out of the building uh, to get to where they can get to the visitors' dressing room, which, again, is in a different building. Um, again, that stuff, uh, that, that stuff that only matters to me in all likelihood, but uh, just wanted to paint the word picture there. And, and now, uh, before... Before the Islanders got to Arizona, which meant uh, this was in Boston, I, I caught up with Zach Parisi and I asked him for his thoughts on the NHL playing at Mullet Arena. And, and then, and you'll, you know, what he starts with, I, I, I've heard from other players too. Um, and uh, I, I do think it's a legitimate concern. Uh, what he brings up, and uh, after that, we also uh, delved a little into Zach Parisi's comfort level this season, and with the Islanders uh, in general, and again, Zach Parisi is tied for second on the team with nine goals. Do you have any thoughts on, like, a 5,000-seat arena in the NHL? It's not great for escrow, I know that, (laughs) Um, but uh, you know what? Um... I mean, they were, it's not a secret, they were struggling for attendance in Glendale, so I think yeah. something had to be done. And, right. um, I guess if this was the solution or a temporary solution in the meantime, I mean, I think the guys are kind of yeah. kind of interested in, intrigued to play down there and right. call a drink, and, yeah. and I don't know how they've been doing for attendance, but... Oh, they've been 5,000. Great. Yeah. That's yeah. great. I mean, you know what, yeah. it's... it's it's, it's, it's fun to play in that, that yeah. atmosphere rather than the other one. It's, yeah. it's good for everybody. Yeah, but I mean, your first point, I, I, you know, I know you sort of said it half-jokingly, but it's it's a serious consideration, right, the, the escrow part. and Huge consideration. Revenue. Revenue. Right? It's all, yeah. I mean, yeah, not to get too too deep into it, but I mean, yeah, that, that I think from a player standpoint, that's, that's definitely a, a big concern, yeah. you know, and, and so... We, uh, as players, you want to 
do everything you can and, and hope the league is doing everything they can to address that because yeah. you know it's all it's all tied together yeah. you know for better or worse that's just that's what we have you yeah. know hey just in, in general terms you know how has this season been going not just you know on the ice but just the fact that things are more open and it seems like more normal you know, do you guys talk about that? Do you talk about it with other teams? or No, I think everyone just wants to forget about that and move on. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think this is it's just way, you know, it's just better. And for those guys, you know, that came into the league two years ago that haven't really experienced yeah. what, you know, what the NHL really is like. Now you have normal schedules and um, buildings that are full and, and you can – Go out for dinner on the road. I mean, yeah. that's you know that's the way it should be. It's the way it's always supposed to be. It, does know? does it translate onto the ice? You know, in well, any way. You know, it, I thought it it wasn't the easiest thing playing in front of no, no. fans. It was not. I mean, it was you know. I mean, you're so used, to, especially playoffs. You're so used to that yeah. that extra buzz in the building. But yeah. man, that was weird. Just hearing pucks bounce against the boards and yeah. nothing. You know what I mean? No yeah. reaction. It was. Glad we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, for me, like, seeing a game in Nassau Coliseum with no one in there, and we were sitting right on the concourse, so mm-hmm. we were, you know, yeah. we could hear everything yeah. you guys were saying to yeah. each other. It was, yeah. it was eerie. Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> yeah. Let's not do that anymore. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good for us for either. Yeah. And, and just, how are you feeling? I mean, you know, good. I mean, statistically, this is, this has got to be, you know, feel really good for you this yeah. season. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, you know, I know I know it's tied into the league the, to the team's record. Yeah, right? I mean, that's the, to me that's the most yeah. that's the most refreshing thing this year is is that we're we're in the in the playoff mix and, yeah. and it's just more fun top to bottom. Yeah. you know, regardless of, of statistics, just it's to be involved and, and to be you know in that conversation and to be yeah. I know we're 20 30 games in but yeah. just to be in there we were out yeah. right, right now <laughs> we were in a yeah. big hole right now yeah. last year so um, it's just you know all around is way more fun yeah I, I know you love being a hockey player but does this kind of not rekindle but just you know make you remember how much fun it really can be what well, last year did honestly too yeah. I mean yeah. I know all the you know circumstances aside with how the team was doing it I just think last year really, you know, I really started to love the game again. Yeah. You know, and I think that would, to me that goes a long way. And so, um, and then you add on this year how we're playing as a team, it's just, it, it's great. But yeah, last year it was just, you know, you really, you really rediscover that. Uh, yeah. You know, this is why I love playing and coming to the rink. Yeah. This is this is the way it's supposed to be. So yeah. it's been good. And just to follow up on what Zach Parisi uh, talked about um, at the beginning when, you know, the first thing he mentioned immediately was revenue. And uh, you heard NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman say this week that he thinks the projections now are that the salary cap is only going to go up $1 million, uh, for next season. And that's going to put a really hard cramp into a lot of team salary cap plans, but uh, Gary Bettman says it's likely that the cap only goes up $1 million, and that's because the, the players still owe back the league some money in escrow, and you, we, we've all heard about, you know, the, uh, uh, the revenue splits and how everything is, you know, the salary cap and everything else is, is tied into uh, league revenues, and uh, that is certainly 
questions that the NHLPA has for the league when it comes to Mullet Arena is what is this doing to player revenue and or not player revenue but uh, hockey related revenue? Now I, I heard from someone who said that you know it's not as as bleak as it might seem going down to a five thousand seat arena that the Coyotes are actually possibly making out a better financially. Uh, playing at Mullet Arena than they were out in Glendale. But again, uh, I think the fact that Zach brought that up immediately uh, sort of speaks to what many players around the league are thinking. And, and you know, I, I question it as well. It's a, It would be a question for me, uh, you know, just, you know, how is this impacting us by playing in, in on a college campus, essentially? But... Anyway, now let's hear from what you, the fans, are thinking about. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And if you ever wondered what I'm doing is that theme music is uh, is playing is furiously sipping down water because, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> the voice gets dry as, as, you, as you talk into a microphone. And uh, that's why you always see those radio hosts on TV uh, sipping something just to keep the old pipes wet. So uh, anyway, let's start out Andrew's Answers with PJA, who says, and for a hockey question, how do you think the team would rate the Isles prospects? Do you think there are future top six forwards or top four defensemen in the pipeline, or do they think it's more future role players? And look, uh, publicly, Lou Lamarillo has has praised what's going on down in Bridgeport in terms of development. I'll give you what I know from outside uh analysis of the islanders uh you know system or, or prospect system and it, and that it's not flush with top six forwards or top four defensemen so you know how the islanders might rate their system i think is different from what talent evaluators outside the team are are evaluating it at the islanders really really have to hope they hit on Atu Ratu, and he can develop into a top six forward, you know, maybe a second line center. Um, as far as top four defensemen, uh, time will tell on Samuel Bolduck. I, I think he is the best candidate down there, uh, given that Robin Sallow is already up. And, uh, you know, Robin Sallow has a chance there too. Uh, to be in the top four, he is not now that he's back in the uh, lineup with Adam Pellick, uh out with the what we suspect is a head injury. Um, look, Lane Lambert has sort of limited Robin Sallow's minutes in the uh, in the games in the three games he's been back in the lineup uh, since uh, uh, Adam Pellick got hurt against the St. Louis Blues. Um, so. You know, but that—that's that—that's look that type of uh, kid gloves or whatever you want to call it. You know, worked well for Scotty Mayfield. It worked well for uh, Adam Pellick and for his partner Ryan Pulak. Um So you know, maybe Robin Sallow can develop into one of those guys. Uh, maybe Samuel Bolduc can develop into a top four defenseman. But I don't think either one 
is going to be there this season or, or probably next season, to be fair. And again, you know, as far as top six forwards, really, they, they have to hit on Aturatu. I mean, you know, further down the line, uh, what, do you, what are you looking at? You know, uh, what do you got? Isaiah George, when he, uh, you know, defenseman, when he joins. But, you know, he wasn't a high, you know, he's in the middle of a draft. And you got to remember that the, the last Islanders prospect to be selected in the first round was Simon Holmstrom way back in 2019. And I think you're seeing right now that Simon Holmstrom, uh, he could still develop into a regular NHL player, but uh, because he's never, it doesn't seem like he's ever really going to be a consistent uh, scorer or a high-end scorer at the NHL level. You're probably looking at a guy uh, who would be in the bottom six uh, more often than not. Um, Carl M. says, with the 50th anniversary celebrations continuing in the 1990s and the 2000s nights coming up, who are some Isles alumni we might expect to see at UBS? And you know what, Carl M., it, it would be nice to get some heads up on that because we we never do. It's sort of like, oh, look who's at the game. That's great. Um, I, I think I think you can guarantee that Darius Kasparitis is going to come around at, at some point. I, I'm thinking it would be really cool to see Rick DiPietro come around. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to catch up with, uh, with Ricky there. Um, and Look, I, I, I think at some point they probably trot out Sean Bates just because, you know, what a great moment in Islanders history. Those are, you know, a few that come off the top of the head. Um, but like I said, I, I, I wish I had a little bit more of a heads up on, on who was actually coming around. It would help me plan, you know, stuff I could do. But um, Again, complaining about my job, which is of interest to no one but me. Thomas Boyle says, do you see Lou making a trade before the Christmas freeze? And and I do think uh, that you could see a few trades around the league uh, before that, that Christmas freeze goes into effect. But... I don't necessarily see Lou making a, a deal. I think what Lou needs, um, I, I really feel like teams are going to wait to see how high the market could go um, or their initial asking price is going to be so high that Lou is is not going to do that right now. He's going to wait to see you know, if if there is a little bit of a price reduction there. Because right now, teams can ask for, for anything they want, you know, as, you know, as outrageous as demands as they can make. So I, I, I don't really see Lou making a trade before the Christmas freeze. Um, St. James says, with the current status of IR players and the Metro teams on the, ri- on the rise... Um, who would be the best target for a trade? I think uh, Bo, Ho- Bo Horvat, and that's of the Canucks, but Adam Pellick's injury makes me think uh, Jacob Chikrin uh, from the uh, Arizona Coyotes, and maybe I should just back up um, You know uh, the current status of IR players. As I speak, Kyle Palmieri 
still on injured reserve with an upper body injury, although both Kyle Palmieri and Anthony Beauvillier both seem, and, and Bo uh, with the lower body uh, after crashing into the uh, backboards. Um, both of those right wings seem like they are ready to get back into the lineup. Uh, Adam Pellick placed on IR. That allows the Islanders to activate Kyle Palmieri when they want, and also Adam Pellick. Uh, can be activated off IR at any time. But he is not on the trip so far. He's not out in Arizona. And uh, Elaine Lambert said, uh, uh, when I asked him whether Adam Pellick was with the team in Arizona, he said that uh, uh, when you see him, he will be on the ice. So that's, you know, Adam Pellick is probably going to start skating on his own back in New York before any thoughts of him coming out here and look he's not going to play Friday against uh uh the Coyotes which means he's almost certainly not going to play Saturday uh, against Vegas would he fly all the way out to Denver for one game uh because uh you know honestly all the Islanders are going to have before facing the Avalanche is a morning skate on Monday, they're not going to practice Sunday off of a back-to-back. I don't think, uh, I, I don't think that's worth it. You know, uh, probably they'll probably be cautious. So the first game I could see uh, Adam Pellick being back in the lineup would probably be uh, that Ranger game where they, they're going to get a practice or two in. Um, but back to uh, St. James's question uh, about uh, who would be the best target. Before I answer that, you know, there are a couple of couple here. Chris Z also says, who's the most realistic trade target? Uh, Timo Meyer of the Sharks feels like the perfect fit, but also a pipe dream given uh, the demand and the likely cost. Um, Jack Anton says, Simon Holmstrom is not ready for the NHL. The Islanders desperately need a legitimate first-line scorer to play with Matt Barzell. What does a trade package for Bo Horvat look like? And how do the Islanders make the money work? Um, also, B. Fett um, says, Bo Horvat, love him, is a fit for the Islanders' ethos, work ethos. But is he your top choice? Didn't think so. Who is and why? Please consider what is realistic. So uh, um, thank you for all those questions on that uh, subject. And uh, getting back to Jacob Chikorin, uh, the, the difference with him as composed to a Bo Horvat is uh, Jacob Chikorin is still under control, I believe, for a couple of seasons. So the, 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 the Coyotes could literally ask for the moon. They could ask for a couple of first-round picks and a couple of NHL-ready players and, and, and probably more for Chikorin. And I don't necessarily see Lou, quote-unquote, gutting uh, what he has uh, to acquire one player like that. Um, I, I really don't. As far as Bo Horvat, uh, the Canucks asking price is also going to be really, really high, even though he's an impending free agent. He does have 21 goals already, and yes, that would be uh, uh, really helpful for the Islanders. Lou's MO to me seems to be, if he's going to acquire you, he wants some cost certainty, meaning he wants to sign you to an extension. Um, I, I 
you know, Bo Horvat, and this goes back to the salary cap only going up one million. Uh, you know, I know Semyon Varlamov's five million comes off the books, uh, but you know, uh, Horvat is you know he turned down reportedly you know about five point one million per year over a max you know contract. So he's him and his reps are probably looking you know thinking 7 to 8 million annually there and you know you know what you just signed Matthew Barzell for so uh um and, and as far as what Bo Horvat's going to cost you right now uh you know I, I I think at a minimum a first round pick and a top prospect and probably uh, someone who can help the Canucks in the lineup right now. So uh, I would think a minimum three pieces, but I, I also think the Canucks asking price right now is, is way higher than that. And that's why, uh, going back to that original question, I think Lou will probably wait on some trades for maybe to see if the prices uh, do come down. And going to, you know, what's the most realistic trade target? And I agree, like, Timo, I agree with Chris Z. I would really love to see Timo Meyer uh, on this team. I, I think he would he would fit in like a glove. Um, but I, I, I feel like the ask for Timo Meyer from the Sharks is probably, if it's not equal to what the Canucks are seeking or, you know, or... And again, I think the Coyotes are probably asking even more. Um, but uh, the, the Sharks should be asking for the moon for this kid um, as well. So again, it's a, it's a matter of whether is Lou really going to, you know, at the very least, if other teams have any interest in Atu Ratu, he's gone he, in any of these deals. And uh, like I said, Lou hasn't traded, uh, hasn't drafted in the first round since 2019. He's got first round picks in the next three years coming up, and you're you're going to have to probably part with at least one, if not two, of those picks uh, to get the guy you want. It, the The price is really, really high. So let me throw out a couple of other names. And again, I, I know we've we've talked about. Scoring wings um, to complement Barzell and Brock Nelson, and this does not help you in that way. But a couple of defensemen could be maybe had for a much lesser price uh, that could, or offensive minded defensemen that could help you out. And that would be John Klingberg, who's on a one year deal. Uh, with the Anaheim Ducks, he could, you know, certainly with the lane, the way Lane Lambert is pushing his defensemen up the ice, the way they're activating, and certainly the way Noah Dobson is scoring, and, uh, you know, Scott Mayfield's close to a career high in goals. Uh, lane Lambert wants the defensemen up, so you, you might be able to get added defense or offense out of your defense. So John Klingberg, uh, I, I think, would be an interesting guy to bring in here. Um, and then the other one where the Islanders are going to see on Friday night is the Ghost, a former flyer now with the Coyotes, Shane Gostas, here, um, who is sort of, you know, he's 
certainly had an up and down career and when he's good he's a really good producer from the back end and and he's been good this season and I I think he could help the Islanders offense out again even though he's a defenseman um you know otherwise up front boy I I I think and again I I don't know where the St. Louis Blues are with this but I think Vladimir Tarasenko would fit perfectly with this team. And, you know, it would be interesting to see if the Islanders could ever do something with that. It's been rumored forever. Um, I, I don't know if that ever comes to fruition because, you know, I, I don't know what the Blues are thinking. Um, and then, you know, up in Edmonton, Jesse, whose last name I'm going to miserably mispronounce, Paul Jarvie uh, here, Um you know, I I I gotta think he'll be on the move at some point, and maybe you take a flyer on him, thinking he can resurrect his career someplace else and give you something. But uh, you know that 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 that's not necessarily what the Islanders are looking for. Um, Andy says, "Do you think the lack of consistency worries the team?" Or do you think they knew they would be up and down, uh, and as long as they are in the mix, they are happy? Um, Look, a lack of consistency always worries anyone. Um, You talk to the Islanders, they feel like they're in a decent place, not a great place. They feel like they have a lot to build upon. And I think the players, like the fans, are also in a little bit of a wait and see what kind of improvements walk through the door. I know they like playing with each other um, in terms of this group being together for so long. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think it, it, I think there's a recognition that, you know, some reinforcement is needed to kind of push this team to the next level. So I think there's some curiosity on the players' part right now. So I... I Look, this is a team, and we've said this about the Islanders, I I don't think they're going to finish first in the Metro if they get into the playoffs, even if they're matched up against the Bruins as the last wildcard team. They they would give the Bruins hell in in a seven-game series. Um, I I, I think they would, again, be one of those teams that no one really wanted to face. Let's see, Captain Mike Steady says, I get that Lou Lamarillo helped turn the franchise around. With that said, the game uh, seems to have passed him by until you guys hold him accountable for never getting a free agent or an offensive player uh, via trade. You cannot be taken seriously. So I guess Captain Mike Steady, not happy with the media. You know, it's always good to throw an opposing uh, uh, view in there. Um... Now, to get into a he said, he said here, uh, Captain Mike Steady. I, I know Lou, uh, before Lou came to this uh, uh, franchise, there was a definite lack of accountability or structure or even, a, you know, the team didn't know how to win. Uh, it's the same players, and they were in the playoffs for three straight seasons. He tried to get Artemi Panarin. He, he really did. As far as, you know, you, you maybe got me on uh, getting an offensive player via trade. I mean, he, at one point he brought in J.G. Pajot, and everyone seemed to love that. So I'm sorry you don't take uh, us seriously. But uh, I took that question seriously. Uh, so there. 
Uh, Chris says, is not disclosing injuries a league-wide practice or just the Islanders in the past? I remember it being a thing during the playoffs, but not so much during the season. What advantage did they think they are gaining by keeping injuries a secret? And yeah, no, this is not just an Islander thing. This is around the league. They want to withhold as much injury uh, information as possible, and they feel like they're protecting their players because the uh, the the sentiment goes that if an opponent knows that, say, a player uh, has a sore ankle, they will target the ankle. Um, so that's that's where that thinking comes in, and it's also you know they think you know by disclosing injuries, uh, you're giving you're giving away some of your competitive advantage in terms of knowing or not knowing whether that player is going to play. I, 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 I sort of feel like some of that is overblown. Players know what's going on around the league. They watch the games. They know what's bothering a player. You know, all hockey players are, are, are tight. It's a tight-knit circle. Word gets around anyway. Um, Anthony Pisano says, why all the scouts at the Bruins game? And there were 13. And I think some of it has to do with looking at the Islanders because the trade season is going to start heating up. But I think a lot of that is just... And I looked at the list of scouts there. A lot of them live in the Boston area. And I think it was very convenient for them to get to that game. I think that had something to do with it. And we'll finish with Rich Ziles says, Isles need a scoring winger, but more centers are available. Who do you think would work best move from center to wing? Barzell, Brock, or an incoming center? And... Well, first of all, you got to tell me who the incoming center is. I think Brock Nelson might be the most adaptable there. Um, Matthew Barzell just needs the puck on his stick. He's played the wing a little bit, but I, I think to get the best out of Matthew Barzell, even though he struggles on faceoffs, you keep him in the middle. Um, Brock Nelson could unleash that shot on a wing and, and still help you out otherwise. So I'd probably, without knowing who the incoming center is, I, I would say Brock Nelson could probably move over comfortably. And uh, with that, that is it for episode 150 of the Island Ice podcast from Newsday. I'm your host, Andrew Gross. And until the next episode, happy hockey, everybody.